Well, good morning, church. Hey, happy Memorial Day. I just wanted to echo what Kelly said. I was so thankful uh, for the men and women uh, who have given their life uh, to, I just think about the passage of scripture, is no greater love is there than this, than one who will lay down their life for a friend. And I'm grateful for uh, the men and women and understand that freedom is not free, that people have sacrificed their lives, and uh, that's what we honor uh, and remember. And I think about um, just the, the example that Jesus gives us, how he laid down our life, and, and how the, the people that served in the military have uh, taken that up as well and embodied that. And so uh, please remember this weekend to uh, thank God for uh, those that, that sacrificed their life for this country, and uh, uh, just please remember that. Uh, we're wrapping up our series called Encountering Jesus this week, uh, and we've been talking about uh, and looking through stories uh, throughout the Bible uh, about times when people encountered Jesus, and it changed everything. Uh, you know, and I'm really excited to share this message with you, uh, because if you, you don't know, I don't, I don't know if I said this, I'm Tyler, I'm the Director of Student Ministries, uh, but I'm excited to share this message with you because um, I actually had the privilege to share this message with our students and a, a handful of other churches at our spring retreat this past uh, April called District Blitz. Um, and uh, I'm just really excited to share it with you because I think about even in the midst of this crazy year, uh, I, I've just been so impressed with our students, with uh, the students uh, that, that go to church here and just the resiliency that they have had uh, because it, it's been crazy. And I've seen students grow in their relationship with Jesus. I've seen students uh, inviting their friends. And we've actually seen our student ministry uh, expand in this time of COVID, which just blew my mind, um, which just shows that, like, we want to be in community. We want to be learning about it. And people have these, these kids have these questions. And so I'm just so thankful for our amazing leaders and the students. Students that attend here, and Kelly, my assistant director of student ministries, and just this amazing team that I have the opportunity to lead. It's just so cool to see what God is doing through our church, and even to see the cool things that God is doing in our community, uh, and through the Champlain Park community as well, and things like that. Um, students are encountering Jesus through breakfast food. Like, mm, yes, Lord, thank you. Right? Uh, a couple months ago, I was contacted by a parent uh, of a student at Champlain Park, not a parent that goes here, uh, but basically she told me that she was looking for people to partner uh, with something called Breakfast Club in our community. And so, of course, I said, yes, absolutely. And then she said, it starts at 6.30 a.m. And I said, I need to pray about it. Um, but we've actually, so two months ago, we launched Breakfast Club out of uh, this Kelly's house. Not, um, and uh, we, we, we saw 21 students come to the first ever Breakfast Club. And afterwards, we were like, that was so cool. Students came, 6.30 in the morning, they got breakfast. They heard a message about Jesus. We, you know, some church, some not church. It was so cool uh, to be a part of that. And so we afterwards started praying and said, okay, God, would you bring 40 kids? Would you bring 40 kids? And then a couple weeks ago, uh, we had a breakfast club, and we had 47 kids show up, which is so cool. Yeah. And so, actually, this coming Thursday, this coming Thursday, we have another one on June 3rd, uh, and, and we're praying for 60 students to show up to get breakfast, to get monkey bread, to get cheesy potatoes, all those kind of things, um, and, and hear the message of Jesus. And it's so cool to be a part of that. And we've seen the community step up, and people have been donating their time, uh, making food. And we had somebody just... Uh, last week donates to pay for all the food for uh, Breakfast Club this week. And so we're just, we're so excited to see God moving in this community, even in the midst of craziness. Um, and, and it's just kind of people being faithful and going, okay, God, I don't really know how I'm going to do this, but I want to be a part of that. Um, and I think that comes from when we encounter Jesus. 
when we encounter Jesus. And so would you just pray with me as we dive into this, uh, this wrapping up this message of encountering Jesus as we look at the life of Peter. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you know us, that you love us, God, that you are doing something in our community, you're doing something in our church, you're doing something in the hearts of us, God, would you, would you continue to prompt us, would you continue to challenge us, to move us to do that next thing, whatever it is that you have for us, God, so that we can glorify you, that we can expand your kingdom, that people would come to know you, people would be filled with the spirit, and God, you would be victorious and you would be glorified in Brooklyn Park, in Minnesota, in our world, God, would you just show up and show off. God, I pray that these words would be your words, that they would not be mine. God, that you would be glorified in every single step uh, that is taken here this morning. God, we praise in your name. Amen. I don't know about you guys, uh, but I read the Bible at times, and I, I kind of resonate with some people. Do you ever do that? You ever read the Bible and just go like, mm, I, I, I think I resonate with that person. Uh, the Apostle Paul or Apostle Peter is someone that I actually resonate with quite a bit. I think about Peter and he's just one of those guys like as, as we're thinking about this, this, this series topic, encountering Jesus, right? Uh, uh, Peter was someone that was very, very familiar with Jesus. He was no stranger to Jesus. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle. He spent time with him. And as I read the Bible, I see Peter, and I'm, I'm like, that dude, he gets it. He's like me. I, like, I, right? We're like, you know that whole, like, you know how you just nod? You just see someone, and you're like, what's up? Right? And you just, you just get it. I feel like that would be me and Peter. I don't know why I did that. That's weird. But we'll just go. <laughs> Coffee hasn't set in yet. But Peter, Peter's the guy, he's like all heart, right? Not always all mind, right? Which is why I think I relate with him, right? You're like, okay, he's like passion set to 110%, and he's like, he's like the kind of guy, he's like, ready, fire, aim, okay? Did you catch that? He's like, ready, fire, aim, okay? He doesn't always think it through, he's just kind of like, ah, oh, which is awesome. Sometimes. Peter's the guy who, when people around are asking, like, who is Jesus? Who's this guy? Jesus looks at his disciples, and he's like, hey, who do you say that I am? And Peter is the only one bold enough, or dumb enough, the only one bold enough to open his mouth. He's like, hey, I think you're the Messiah. I believe you're the Messiah. And I'm like, yeah, go, Peter. You, yeah, like, yes. And in that same chapter, Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to be killed. And Peter's like, no way. I will not let it happen. And he, like, starts to rebuke Jesus. I don't know if you like, know this, that's probably not a great idea. You probably shouldn't rebuke the son of man, right? Like the son of God. Like, hey, I know you're God and everything, but you're wrong, right? And then Jesus, Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You're like, ooh, that dude's dumb. But he's a passionate dude. He's a passionate guy. And he's like, you're, he's the type of guy you're like, oh, I'm so glad you're my friend, but also we might die in a fiery ball of awesomeness. That's Peter. And I think I relate to him in so many ways. But one of the ways that I, the greatest ways that I feel like I resonate with Peter actually comes in his greatest failure. You're going, okay, what do you mean by that? So Jesus, he's talking to his disciples here in the passage of Mark. And he's telling them like, hey, just so you know, you're all going to deny me. You, are, you guys are all going to deny me. And Peter, of course, is the first one to open his mouth. And he says this in Mark chapter 14, verse 29. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, 
I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. So Peter is like, Jesus, I will never deny you. I will never deny you. Even if I have to die, I will never deny you. Do you guys ever relate to that? You ever have those moments where you make that promise? It's like, like I, I know I have like, Jesus, I'm never going to dot, dot, dot. Jesus, I'm never going to do that. So Jesus gets arrested. Peter grabs a sword, lops the guy's ear off, right? Ready, fire, aim, okay? Just like, well, he swings and gets his ear, I don't know. Just kind of reacted. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. And Jesus is arrested, and he's taken away. And I can imagine that Peter and, his disi- and the disciples were just like, well, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. Like, Jesus, you're supposed to be the, the, the triumphant king. You come in, and you, you, you free us from all the, this bondage that we're in to Rome and everything. And, and their minds are probably spinning because they're, they're sitting here going, man, like, we just watched Jesus get walked off, get arrested. And like, we're like, what do we even do in this moment? I don't, I don't know what to do. You can imagine the confusion and the disciples at this point, the fear, the questioning, the going, I, I, don't, I don't know what just happened. And the story picks up. We're going to look at John chapter 18. It says this, John 18, verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another, another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with a high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest courtyard with Jesus. Now, I love that... I love when you see the realness of, like, the disciples, right? Peter, he's a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. And then all of a sudden, John is talking. He talks in this weird third person where he talks about himself, but he doesn't ever say his name. It's, like, a little weird. Like, I think John had, like, a little competitive edge to himself or whatever. And so he just kind of throws in this little passage here. It's like, Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did the other disciple. But the other disciple was acquainted with the high priest. So he was allowed in, but Peter wasn't. Do you just see it a little bit? You just see, like, their humanity a little bit in there, right? So Peter had to stay outside the gate, like, like, stay out here. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke up to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. That woman asked Peter, you're not one of those man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire, and they stood around it warming themselves, and Peter stood with them warming himself. Now, really quick, pause. If you have, if you're like in your Bibles and you don't mind writing in it, underline that word charcoal fire or that word, that, the, right, the word right there, charcoal fire. We're going to come back to that. But he says here, okay, remember Peter just goes, hey, Jesus, even if I have to die, I will not, I will not deny you. And face at, right when he is faced with the first opportunity to not deny Jesus, he denies Jesus. Hey, don't you know that guy? No, I don't know him. Don't even know him. It goes on. Verse 25, meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it, saying, no, I'm not. But one of the household slaves the high, of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Like, you're like, you probably don't, not going to forget the guy who chopped off your cousin's ear or whatever, like your relative's ear. And again, Peter denied, and immediately the rooster crowed three times. In another gospel, it actually says that Jesus looked up and made eye contact with Peter, and Peter wept, and he ran away, and shame rushed in. Jesus, I would never, I'll never deny you. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And when faced with the opportunity three times, he denied, just like Jesus said, the rooster crowed, and shame 
rushed in. Can you relate? I can. I think so many of us can relate to Peter's story. God, I'm never going to do that. Maybe it was after your last mistake. God, I'm never going to do that again. Maybe it was like, I'm never going to go to that website ever again. Or maybe it was, I'm going to kick this addiction. Never again. God, I promise I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to fall into that crowd. And it feels like time after time that I'm not going to turns into, I can't believe I just dot, dot, dot. And shame rushes in. This whole series we've been talking about encountering Jesus and how people encounter Jesus and it changes their life. What, what did we do with Peter here? Peter's like, Peter's like I, I spent three years with Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I watched him perform miracles. And I, like I encountered Jesus. It changed my life. And then I, I failed him. Can we relate to that? I think I resonate with Peter because my story is so similar. I was the good Christian kid. I was the kid who grew up in a great home. My parents loved Jesus. I went to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. I never got my Timothy Award in Awana. <laughs> you know how students love you and they do that by being mean to you? Like, does anybody know? Anybody relate to that? They make fun of me because I never got my Timothy Award. They tell me that actually they're more qualified to do my job than I am because they have a Timothy Award. And actually, last week, I was at uh, Jason Summers' grad party, and I walked up, and a bunch of the middle schoolers were like, Tyler, Tyler, come here, come quick. And they promptly brought me over to show me Jason's Timothy Award. And I was like, I hate you all. <laughs> I tried to look it up online. It's like $32 to buy a Timothy Award on, on Awana.com. just wasn't worth it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> See, I knew all the right answers about Jesus. I even, I, I knew I had, I had encountered Jesus. I knew about Jesus and everything like that. But in sixth grade, I was introduced to pornography. And even though I knew what I was doing was wrong, because I was, I was raised in a home that, that taught me right versus wrong, I knew, I knew what I was doing was wrong. And yet, night after night, I would say it over and over again, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, only to fail. And I started to experience shame. I, I know better. I shouldn't be doing that. I know, I go to church. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing that. And shame rushed in. And Satan begins to lie and say, hey, like, you, you, Jesus, he doesn't love you because of this shame, because of what you're doing. And listen, I never stopped believing in God. I never had a moment in my life where I was like, I don't believe in God. God isn't real. I just believe God didn't want anything to do with me. Like, why would he want anything to do with me? Because I, I, I failed. I screwed up. I messed up. He, why, would, why would he ever want anything to do with me? And see, I ran deeper into my sin that led to more sin, to anger, to hating myself, to the point where I thought, man, I just, it's better if I'm not even around. Shame had taken over. See, that's the danger of shame, is it pushes us away from God. Peter felt shame and he ran away. My shame drove me to hopelessness. So I have to ask this question, what does God think about us even in our failure? We have to ask that question. What does God think about us even in our failure? Because I thought he looked at me and was like, how could you? How could you be so dumb? Like, you disgust me. These are the things that I imagine. I imagine God is up in heaven going, I can't even look at you. And I'm thinking, like, I, I believed in God, but what is, he doesn't want anything to do with me. 
because of my shame, because of my failure. And I wonder how many of us have walked through these doors here this morning, or maybe you're sitting on a boat somewhere watching this and just thinking about like these thoughts through your head, is, or maybe it's someone else's voice in your head reminding you of your failure. Maybe it's Satan, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a parent, or maybe it's a, a, an ex-spouse, or somebody just reminding you constantly, this voice in your head reminding you of your failures and, and have said these hurtful things and just continually going back to this idea of failure. But what does God say to us, even in the midst of our failure? Does he look at us and say, I can't stand you? I don't think that's the case. I would say no. And we see this in the encounter that Jesus has with Peter after Jesus rises from the dead, right? So Jesus is arrested. He goes to the cross. He's crucified. He's beaten. He goes to the cross. He's buried. And Peter who's stuck in his shame, is sitting around with the other disciples. Now, that's a profound thing I think we need to understand. Because if shame drives us away from God, so oftentimes what Satan wants us to do in our shame and in our, in our, in our embarrassment and all those things, he wants to pull us out of community, right? He wants to pull us out of community. And so Peter here, it says he's sitting with Jesus because there's another disciple who failed Jesus. There's another disciple who betrayed Jesus, and he ran away from the community, and it was his, to his demise, Judas, but Peter, even though he screwed up, he stayed in community. Just like last week when Pastor Brent talked about it, sometimes, guys, we just got to hang in there and stay in community. Stay surrounding ourselves with people who spur us on to Jesus. So Peter stays in community, and then all of a sudden Mary busts through the door. She's like, Jesus is alive! And then Peter and John get up, or sorry, the disciple whom Jesus loved, get up, and they run, and they take off for the tomb. Right? And of course, John has to get it in there. And it says that John actually got there first because he was faster than Peter. <laughs> I love the Bible, guys. I love it. So they get there and they find the tomb empty. And then Jesus appears to his disciples a few times. And then we pick up this encounter in John chapter 21. And it's an incredible encounter with Jesus. And I want to just walk through it. So if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 21. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen and follow along as we talk about this. John 21, starting in verse 1. It says this. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and those other two guys. Imagine if you were those guys. <laughs> those other two. Uh, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. It says Peter and the disciples were going to go fishing. Okay, this is not a recreational statement that they're making. They're not saying, what do you want to do? I don't know, you want to go fishing? No, they're making a career change. Why? Think about it. Peter's like, man, I failed Jesus. There's no way, yeah, he's alive, but there's no way he's going to want anything to do with me. I denied him three times, just like he said that I was going to. There's no way he wants anything to do with me. And so he went back to what he knew, which was fishing. Because shame derails us from God's calling in our life. How oftentimes do we go and deal with shame or something happens in our life and we feel this shame and it derails us from the calling that God has for us in our life to preach the gospel, to tell people, to love people, to be in community. How often does shame derail us from Jesus, from the calling that he has in our life? 
I'd say far too often. Then it goes on, verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. So he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. Now, you might be sitting here reading this or hearing this and going, that sounds really familiar. It's because it is. Because this is exactly the same way that Jesus called Peter and Andrew in the first place. What does that say? Even in our failure, even in that, the mission hasn't changed. Peter's sitting here thinking, I can't be fishers of men. I guess I'll just go fish for, for fish. And Jesus is going, hey, let me remind you of the mission. Let me remind you of what I've called you to do. And so he calls Peter in the exact same way. And I love this next part. Okay, keep going, keep going. This is in verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard the, it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. All right, just picture this. Like, Jesus, right? Like, ready, fire, aim. He just jumped out of the boat. And then, listen, listen, right here. Okay, I love this. The others stayed in the boat. And they pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only a couple hundred yards off the shore. <laughs> like, Peter's just like, Hilla! And he's swimming, and then John's just like, keep going, Peter. Keep going, you're almost there. Right? Just ready, fire, aim. <laughs> the Bible, man, I, I love it. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish that you've caught, Jesus said to Simon Peter. They went aboard and dragged out the net. There was 153 fish, and yet he had, the net had not torn, just like the first time Jesus called him. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? For they knew that it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them some bread and fish, and it was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. How does Jesus respond to Peter's failure? He calls Peter in the exact same way that he called him in the first place. The mission hasn't changed, Peter. Repent, turn to me. The mission hasn't changed. And then he says, hey, come eat breakfast. What does that say? God knows us. He loves us. He wants to care for us. He wants to be in community with us, right? Eating breakfast, sitting together and eating breakfast is an act of, he wants to be in community. I often thought, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. No, what this is saying is he wants to be in community with us. Well, what about our sin? How do, do, does he even know? Remember that word charcoal fire? Yeah, I told you to underline. It appears right here in John 21. That word charcoal fire in the Greek only appears two places in all of Scripture. The word charcoal fire. It appears here in John 21, and it's the fire that Peter warms himself as he denies Jesus. Is that just me? Do I just think that's cool? Two times in all of Scripture, the word charcoal fire appears, and it's, it's at Peter's greatest failure and when God restores him. What does that say? Man, God knows. He knows our crap. Can I say that? It's Memorial Day. It's fine. Brent's not here. <laughs> he knows. He's not surprised by it. He knows it. And he still calls us. Jesus called Peter the same way that he first did. He prepared this charcoal fire just like it was at Peter's denial. He knows. He knows about it. 
He isn't surprised by Peter. He's trying to get Peter's attention. And then it goes on to this. Verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And take care of my sheep. Simon Peter, Jesus asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt this third time, asking the question, or the third time, uh, he asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, then feed my sheep. I don't think he was asking three times on accident. Actually, three times was, was a point that they would use in Jewish culture. When you said something three times or you asked three times, it was to signal, like, this is really important. This is really important. And not only that, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And we could read this and like, well, okay, is Jesus shaming Peter? Is he like, shame on you? And I would say no, okay? Because Jesus isn't pointing back to what he had done. He didn't say, hey, why did you deny me? Do you even love me? That's not what Jesus is doing here. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, hey, do you love me? Yeah, then feed my sheep. Jesus is looking at Peter and going, I, I know about your past. I know about that. I'm talking about your future. Let's move forward. We so often, Satan so often wants to point us back to our past, to our shame, to let us sit in there, to sit and wallow in there. And Jesus is saying, look up, look, and let's go this way. He says, feed my sheep. There are people out there who need to know about me, Jesus is saying. There are people who need someone to fish for men. Get up out of your shame and move forward. And Jesus is not saying to Peter, oh, well, I guess we just brush your sin under or your denial under. He's not saying that. Jesus isn't like sitting here going, just like, oh, well, I'm not going to do anything about that. That's why he went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross to deal with our shame, to deal with our sin, to deal with our guilt. That's why he went to the cross. He's not brushing it under the rug and saying, oh, well, we'll just skip that one. He's going, I dealt with that. That's why I went to the cross. And the same is for you and me. That's why he went to the cross. It's for our shame and our guilt and our sin. And he's saying, I took care of that. Beloved child, look up and move forward. That's what Jesus is saying. Move forward. When I died and I rose again, I defeated sin. I defeated shame. I defeated death and guilt so that you can be on mission. When we turn from our sins, when we repent and go the other way, Jesus is saying, I'm not ignoring that. I'm aware of that. I just dealt with it. So oftentimes we, we look back and go, ah, but Jesus, do you know? And he's like, yes, of course I know. I'm God. I've dealt with it. Let's move forward. See, Satan wants to call us. Satan knows our name. And he wants to call us by our sin. God knows our sin and he calls us by our name. That's a quote from somebody that I don't remember, but I read it last night and I was like, that's so good. I probably should have wrote it down. Right? God knows us. This is what happens when you freestyle. <laughs> you just quote things you don't even know where it came from. Man, God knows us. 
And then in verse 9, he restores Peter. And Jesus looks at Peter in the eyes and he says, follow me. Just like before. Just like before. He had been walking with Jesus. He failed. And Jesus says, hey, do you love me? Yes, good. Then feed my sheep. Follow me. Jesus calls us back into mission. It's at this point where you're like, man, this must be where it ends, right? Nope, Peter opens his mouth. And he says, what about him? And Jesus says, I'm talking to you, Peter. I'm talking to you. And friends, Jesus is talking to you. He knows the promises that you've made and that you've broke. He knows the secrets that you hope that no one ever finds out. He sees your shame and he says, I dealt with that on the cross. That's why I went to the cross. Because I love you. Because I know you. I know it. I know it. He's not surprised by it. And he still goes, I dealt with that. I didn't brush it off. I paid for it with my blood. So child, get up, move, and move forward. We've got work to do. Satan so much wants to just take shame and and hold back the church because of the lies in our head. There are so many lies in this room that God is, or that that Satan is like filling your brains with and, and about like how God doesn't want to use you. And God's going, hey, do you love me? Good. Feed my sheep. Turn from your sin. He deals with it. When we can lay it at the foot of the cross, Jesus deals with it. It feels so like backwards like so like i don't know did he really i don't don't he said so so let's believe him i I mean how often do we like read scripture and go i don't know if i believe that because it's shame in the back of our head it's guilt in the back of our head it's satan it's those lies in the back of our head and jesus is going i dealt with that i reached a point a breaking point in my my story where I was addicted, I was angry, I just wanted to give up. Shame had taken over. And I said to God, if you really care about me, prove it. Because remember, I didn't, I didn't not believe in God. I just believe he didn't want anything to do with me. I said, prove it. And I went to this conference, and there was this pastor there. He was standing there. And I believe that someone in this room maybe needs to hear this. But he stood up there, and he goes, I think someone in this room needs to hear this. God knows you, and he loves you. And I went, that's it? I can't not do something with that. And it changed my life. He knew my sin. He knew my dark side. He knew my struggles. And yet, he still went to the cross for me to deal with my sin, to deal with my issues. It wasn't fair to him, but he did it because he loves me and he loves you. When I realized that Jesus knew everything about me and that he died for me and that he still calls me to follow him, shame lost its hold. And Jesus called me into mission just like he's calling all of us as followers of Jesus into mission. So what does Jesus say about me in in our failures? What does he say to us in our failures? He says, don't let the failures of your past determine the future that I have for you. Don't let the failures of your past determine your future that I have for you. It says in God's word, 
in Ephesians 2.10, that we're God's masterpiece and he's created us anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he set before us long ago. Don't let shame derail us from that. Don't let our questions and our, and our struggles derail us from that. Jesus is saying, I got you. I dealt with it. Get up, child. Move forward. Stop looking down in shame and look and keep your eyes on me, the author and the perfecter of our faith. This morning, maybe you need to allow Jesus to heal you of your shame. Maybe this means talking to a trusted friend. Maybe it's confessing to a trusted friend or trusted people in your life who are going to hold you accountable and help you move forward in Christ to get your eyes up and not on shame, but on Jesus. Maybe some of you need to go see a Christian counselor. Maybe some of you this morning need to come down in front and, and, and come and ask for prayer and spend some time at the altar going, Jesus, I need you. I'm gonna lay this down, whatever it is. Listen, I don't know your story, but God does. And I don't know how far away maybe you feel from God, but I know that no one is too far from God. And Jesus is not screaming, how could you? How dare you? He's standing there with his arms wide open saying, come. Stop looking down in shame and missing all the people that I have called you to reach. Look up, child, and feed my sheep. Jesus knows you and he loves you. And he wants to use you and me for something greater than we could ever dream or imagine. He looks at you and he says, child, follow me. God, I pray that we'd be a people who follow you. God, I pray that in this time of worship, in this time of focusing on you and giving you all the praise, God, would you, would you prick our hearts to turn to you? It's not that you're ignoring our sin or you're not dealing with it. You dealt with it at the cross. And so, God, we can come before you boldly before because of what Jesus has done. God, would you bring us to repentance? Would you bring us in humility to stand before God and say, God, I want to live for you. And he looks at us with arms wide open and he says, follow me. Feed my sheep. God, I pray that we would encounter Jesus here today. We would encounter your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place as we worship you, as we lift up these songs to you. God, would you prompt us to do what we gotta do, to come before you, to lay ourselves bare before you. It's vulnerable, it's scary, I know. But it's where healing begins. Holy Spirit, do only what you can do. In your name we pray, amen.